0: You're listening to the Queen City Church Sermon of the Week. For more information on this message and other resources, visit queencity.church. Man, I have some really good news for you. I only have four pages of notes today, so I'm. this is going to be like the shortest sermon of your entire life. Can I get an amen? Just kidding. It's not going to be that short, but hopefully it'll be good. Man, I was so thankful for the worship team this morning. I, I, I've just been, um, kind of overwhelmed with the grace of God this week. And so I called Casey and Julie, uh, this week and asked them if they could add amazing grace to the set because the, the second verse has just been washing over me this week, really speaking to me. It was grace that taught my heart to fear and grace my fears relieved. I've just, I don't know about you. I've been in a season where I've needed grace. It seems like more than I normally have. And um also because I've got 6 kids and some of my children don't know what a hymn is. So uh uh, uh one of my kids was asked by a, another friend of theirs what their favorite hymn was and my kid said a what? <laughs> so I'm not going to tell you that person's name but Anyways, I thought that was hilarious. So, uh, well, here's the thing. Last time I spoke, I was I was speaking on this idea of the presence of God in times of trouble. Do you remember? Do any of you remember that? Uh, and for some reason, I I can't quite get off the theme of trouble. Or suffering, or or hard times, whatever you want to call it, and I was I was thinking back about my life, and I was thinking, why why do I always come back to wanting to make sense out of the trouble in my life? And I, and I and and looking back over the course of my life, I realized that from the very beginning of my life, every chapter has been marked by a significant bit of trouble i i recognize that that's not true for everybody and i and i wish that it was true for less people than it is so don't think that just because this has been my story that it needs to be your story and i also think that if you go looking for trouble you're dumb as a brick but the the fact remains that we don't really have to go looking for trouble. Trouble often finds us, right? And and what, what seems to happen in our lives is that when it happens on occasion, it disconcerts us. It confuses us. We, we find that in the grief, whatever degree of grief that we're bearing due to our trouble, oftentimes we don't know what to do with it. It often doesn't make sense. You know, some suffering is earned, but a whole lot of suffering isn't. Some trouble we invite into our life, but there is a trouble that is not invited. And I want to take a look at trouble in conjunction with the grace of God. All right? Uh, I have people in my life who are close to me who on occasion... Tell me that I come across a bit too intense and I, I am going to work on not being as intense in my life. I'm going to try to be more gentle. I'm going to be, try to be kinder. I'm going to try to shift it into a different gear, but it may be that I just am who I am. And that's the way God made me. And you know, the, the fact is is that God made you to be a certain way because that way is actually a gift to the world. So, so what the real, uh, challenge for us is, is when who you are is bumping against who I am or who I am is bumping up against you are. And then we have to work on a shared understanding, don't we? So I find that relationships take a lot of grace, don't they? Who needs more grace in their life? I do. I mean, grace is like, it's always accessible. We always have access to it. But for some reason, we forget about that. So we're gonna take a look ab- about at trouble and grace today, okay? So so this is a funny story. When I was a kid, I was obsessed with this certain hymn. It's funny, I didn't plan on this, but the ironic part of my kids not really knowing much about hymns and I was obsessed with hymns as a kid. So I've, I know I've told the story before, but when I was a freshman in high school, I got butcher paper that was about four feet wide and I cut out about 30 feet of it and I pasted it against the three walls of my bedroom. And then, and I took a black marker and I wrote in big fat block letters the words to every verse of the hymn, it is well with my soul. That is so weird. Like, no kid should ever do that. But for some reason, I was aware of the world that I lived in. I had trouble early on in my life. Somewhere along the line, I heard the gospel story. I came into the grace of God. And my trouble didn't make sense, but it began to have meaning. All right? There's a lot of trouble. There's a lot of suffering in the world that we can't quite know the answer to. But through the lens of the gospel of Jesus Christ, trouble can be redeemed. All right? So in in my story, I had at some point in my life, I had the words of this famous hymn, It Is Well With My Soul pasted up against the three walls of of the four walls of my bedroom. And I began to meditate on that thing as a young person. And looking back, I didn't know this was happening to me as a kid, but that was actually forming who I was. It made me who I was, all right? So so this is a really interesting about the Apostle Paul. You know, just to catch everybody up, I know you know who he is, but the Apostle Paul, wrote a large percentage of the new Testament and his story and his epistles to the early church speak volumes to us about the way the Christian life may look. It may not look exactly like that, but it can look like the apostle Paul. So there's this really interesting passage in uh second Corinthians chapter 11. All right. And There's a lot going on in this book. If you read 2 Corinthians, and you should, there are two main themes going on in this book. Trouble and comfort. Comfort and trouble. He starts with comfort, but then he heads directly into a whole lot of trouble. There's a little bit of teaching in the middle of it as to how Christians should act, but there is more personal testimony of the trials and difficulties that the Apostle Paul faced. And I don't think that's by accident. I think the Spirit of God knew that people go through trouble, but Christians go through a particular trouble, and they can make sense of their trouble through the gospel lens. And we're going to see Paul explaining this, fleshing this out for us a little bit. But in Second in, uh, Corinthians chapter 11, starting at verse 23, He says this. This is a very interesting list that he gives. Are they servants of Christ? I must be out of my mind to talk like this. I am more of a servant than they are. I have worked much harder. I have been in prison more frequently. I've been flogged more severely. I've been exposed to death again and again. Five times I received from the Jews 40 lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was pelted with stones. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in the open sea, and I have been constantly on the move. I have been in danger from rivers. I've been in danger from bandits. I've been in danger from fellow Jews. I've been in danger from Gentiles. I've been in danger in the city. I've been in danger in the country. I've been in danger at sea. I've been in danger from false believers. I have labored and I have toiled and I have often gone without sleep. I have known hunger and thirst and I have often gone without food. I have been cold. I have been naked. Besides everything else, I face daily pressure from my concern of all the churches. Who is weak and I do not feel weak? Who is led into sin and I do not inwardly burn? If I must boast, I will boast of the things that show my weakness. The God and father of the Lord Jesus, who is to be praised forever, knows that I am not lying. In Damascus, the governor under King Aretas had the king of the Damascenes guarded in order, the city of the Damascenes guarded in order to arrest me. But I was lowered in a basket from a window in the wall and slipped through his hands. Okay, this is the apostle Paul. Outside of Peter, he is the most likely head of the church of Jesus Christ at this point. He is giving a laundry list of terrible things that have happened to him in his ministry life, in his life as a Christian, okay? We read this and we're amazed at the cost that this man paid. But when he is giving this laundry list, he is basically exposing his dirty laundry, In that culture, if all of that kind of stuff was going on for you, what would be assumed about you is that the gods must be angry with you. And I don't know about you, but sometimes when I'm going through things that are near to what Paul went through, although I've never been through anything this extreme, when I go through some trouble, sometimes I wonder, is God against me? When I'm going through things, sometimes I start to wonder, maybe I am out of favor with God. Maybe I'm out of step with God. Maybe I'm out of the will of God. But Paul, with his list of troubles, finds himself, locates himself directly in the pleasure, the will, and the heart of God. He's suffering greatly and he's not put out with God, and he knows that God is not put out with him. That's a little bit different than the way I have often looked at it. I don't know about you. Are you, are you with me on that? Sometimes we go through things, and we think that God is put out with us. Paul didn't measure it that way. Sometimes this is what we feel. If someone was going through this many troubles, the assumption would be that the gods must be angry with that person. In some cultures, if anyone was going through that much trouble, that was the thing that disqualified you. That much trouble disqualified you from doing anything well or doing anything for God. But in the kingdom of God, that is the very thing that qualifies you. So sometimes what we feel is we feel beyond discouraged because of the amounts of setbacks and trials that we face. Paul had suffered so much by this point in his life that it was safe to say that Paul had been formed by his troubles. He hadn't just been informed by his troubles. He was formed by his troubles. Paul's troubles made him who he was, and his writing in this epistle shows that. I think that's the thing that scares us sometimes, because we see ourselves becoming different than we once were. Do you remember when you were a teenager? Do you remember when you were in your 20s? Maybe maybe you're a little older now. Maybe you're in your 30s or your 40s or your 50s, or, you know, maybe you're in your 60s and beyond. The truth is that it's almost impossible to be the same person that you were in your early years. And part of the reason it's impossible is that if you go through enough time and space, you will develop some mileage, right? It's not the years, it's the mileage, baby, right? You will have gone through enough things, enough troubles to actually form what you look like who you are. And that's not necessarily always a good thing, but, but I get this sense from this epistle that it can't be helped in some ways. So Paul had been marked by his troubles and he had become known for the amount of troubles that he endured. Not only had he become known, he was broadcasting it. He knew this letter would be read by more than just the Corinthian church. By that time, the Corinthian church had expanded beyond Corinth. He knew when he was being vulnerable in that letter with this list of shameful things that had happened to him, he knew that those things would be known. Have you ever been around a person who's always in trouble? Man, I don't want to be around people like that. Like whenever I'm whenever i around a person who's always in trouble, I'm always like, yeah, they say that you become like the five people that are closest to you. I want that person out of my circle of five right now. I only want successful business owners and high achievers in my five people because I want to do great things, I want to live a good life, and I want all my dreams to come true. So all you Apostle Pauls, get out of my circle of five. You are not allowed to this party. But Paul was at the very center of what God was doing. Sometimes you can misjudge what God is doing in somebody else's life by the amount of trouble that they're in. You can misjudge what God is doing in your own life by the amount of trouble that you're in. Maybe you've had a bad year. Maybe you've had a bad five years. Maybe you've had a bad 10 years and you've said, God is through with me. And you might be in the very center of what God is doing in and through you. But your time frame and his time frame work at different speeds. Are you with me so far? But the truth is, I think that many of us can relate to Paul's life to one degree or another. And this is why I love the Bible so much. The week, the weakness are the main heroes of the Bible story. Time and time again, weakness is highlighted from the gospels all the way through the epistles. We see weakness as the main functioning paradigm of people who are excelling and exceeding in the kingdom of God. This this list that Paul's putting out here in this epistle, this isn't like the, the list for the super spiritual This is kind of like a description of a whole lot of people that lived on planet Earth after Paul lived. There are still Christians. There are still believers in the world right now who don't have things like air conditioning and freedom of religion and freedom of speech, who don't have the freedom to gather, who are doing the church, who are doing church under a whole lot of difficulty. So, so Paul's epistle, his listing of these issues are actually strength to the greater body of Christ, to the global community of Christ. This telling the story is actually grace to us. But I see my own life in Paul's life still. Paul suffered insufficiency. Paul suffered lack. Have you ever suffered lack? Paul says he knew how to be abased and how to abound. I'd like to know how to abound, first of all. I'm I'm always like, test me, Lord. Test me. Let me abound. I will not fail the test, Lord. I promise you. But Paul knew how to be abased. Paul knew how to be in want of provision. One of the prayers that I, I... often pray in jest when I'm joking around with the Lord, I always say to the Lord, oh God, that you would provide until you do. That you would provide until the provision comes. Because sometimes we're praying prayers for provision and the provision is still over there, right? And we still got to live between here and there. From point A to point wherever the provision is, we still got to get to that place. A lot of times our lives feel like that. We're between the rock and the hard place. We can't go forward because we don't know where we're going. We can't get to the provision because we don't know what it is. And the only thing we have left to do at that point is trust God that he will get us where he needs us to be. But Paul knew this. He suffered lack of provision. Paul found himself in situations that were beyond his control. Have you ever found yourself in a position that was beyond your control, where you used every intellectual resource to figure your way out of a situation and you could not find the resource that you needed to get out. Paul's known that. He's exposing himself in that. Paul was living in the same reality that you and I are living in right now. He was living in the in-between space between the kingdom of God now and the kingdom of God not yet. You know, this is a really interesting dynamic that we see in Scripture. Jesus said this a few times. He said, anybody who says that the kingdom of God is over there or over there or over there, they're not telling you the truth. He says, the kingdom of God is right here within you. But we know this just from looking at reality, that the manifestation of the fullness of the kingdom of God is not yet. We are in the waiting period. We are in the waiting time. So in that waiting moment, there will be a lot of tension that we face. There will be a lot of things that aren't answered for us yet. There will be a lot of provision that hasn't made its way to us yet. But it's in that place that we learn to live by faith and not by sight. It's in that place where we learn to let the grace of God be our provision. You actually can't lean on grace unless you need grace, right? You actually can't depend on grace unless you're in a place where you need grace. Oftentimes, I think the Holy Spirit is doing this work where he's positioning people to have to depend on the grace of God alone. It's not a very comfortable place to live. It's not a very comfortable place to be. But I've just met too many people who find themselves in circumstances that are beyond their control and they have no resources within themselves to find comfort. And so they in turn have to lean into Jesus and receive his grace. So Paul had found himself in all of these lacking situations but the the truth is that takes a toll if you go through one hard experience after another that really does take a toll on us doesn't it in a lot of ways it can create heart sickness if if you go i don't mean to over spiritualize difficulties if you've gone through difficulties in your life, you can't just like sprinkle heavenly fairy dust on top of those things and act like they don't actually take a toll in your life. Difficulties actually take a toll on who you are. I don't know. I've had seasons of my life where I've been so broken down. I've 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 been so heart sick. That I have forgotten how to carry hope i've forgotten to actually hope i've it, it's it 's almost like hope was became an unendurable thing, and I had to lay it aside. It was easier for me to be cynical and hopeless, still call myself a Christian, still believe in Jesus, but I stopped actively hoping, and i I, I set hope aside because the heart sickness that was in my heart couldn't carry hope any longer. Have you, have you forgotten how to dream? Like heart sickness will, will rob you of your desire to dream. If you've had too many dreams not come true, if you've had too many things happen to you that were negative, you will stop dreaming. You will, You will put that thing aside. And and this is what Amy and I have found. Human beings were actually hardwired to hope and dream. If you're not actively hoping and you're not actively dreaming the dreams of God, that's probably a sign of heart sickness in you that needs to be healed. This is a big one, this next one. Have you forgotten what joy feels like? Maybe you've never known what joy feels like. But I've been through seasons of my life where the heart sickness so overwhelmed me that I couldn't even re- I know the word joy. I know the working definition of joy. But that's a whole lot different than actively experiencing joy in your heart. And I've had deep seasons of joy in my life where the river of God was just washing through my being, and the grace of God was working actively, and I was aware of that. But you go through these things, and it's like this dust settles on your heart. This dust settles on your mind, and a heart sickness comes over you, and you can't even remember what joy feels like anymore. Do you feel like the person you are now is beyond believing God for anything new and good? Okay, I'm, here's the thing. I'm 47 years old and I, I am wiser now than I was in my twenties. But I have to say this. In my twenties, I was way better at believing God for things. In my twenties, I was way more active in my hope, in my faith, in, in stepping into the joy of God. And I was thinking about it this week, and I realized this. The reason why I was way more able to dream with God was because I had so much less to lose. When you're young and dumb, you don't have any money. You don't have any wisdom. All you have is trying things out. There's almost nothing resting on you. You're just, you're just sitting around thinking, man, what can I do with my life? How can I serve God? How can I dream with God? What plans can I make for myself? What things can I achieve? And those dreams become so powerful in our lives, don't they? They're good. Those things came from the Father. I believe this is that God has put these desires in your heart for a reason. There are actually things inside of you that the world desperately needs. So then the question becomes, well, God, if you gave me all these things, why is it so hard for these things to come to pass? Have you ever, have you ever thought about that? Like, (laughs) but what I've realized is that the good things of God, the sweet things of God, the things that God is trying, to get out into the world actually come by some kind of failure and crushing of the vessel carrying those dreams. And there's this incredible glory that goes to God the Father when once those dreams are deposited into us and we can't make those things come to pass in our own volition and we become people who surrender their lives to Jesus over and over and choose him over and over, those things actually do come to pass. They may not come to pass in a way that we exactly imagined. They may not come to pass in a way that we exactly, you know, saw in our mind at some point. But this is the thing I found out about Jesus, is that he is faithful to complete the work that he started in us. God really can do it, y'all. He really can take you through those seasons of heartache, those seasons of difficulty, and he can take you to the place where those dreams are actually fulfilled. And we see this in the life of Paul. So, maybe we've gotten to that place where we've forgotten how to believe in Jesus, but But here is the really good news about this. If that's how you feel, maybe maybe you don't feel this. And maybe you have no idea what I'm talking about this morning, and that's fine. But maybe this morning, that is you. The truth is, you are in the perfect place, okay? If you feel confused, put out with God, disconcerted, don't know where you're going, don't know what to do, lack of resource, lack of everything... You are actually in the perfect place for God to do a work in your life. For God to do something in your life. So in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, Paul reveals one of the greatest realities ever known to humankind. And I think you know this verse. but We're going to talk about it anyways. This is to me, if I had a life verse, I think it would be this. All right, but this is a principle. It's a dynamic. I don't know what you want to call it, but this is where heaven and earth meets. And if you can attach yourself to this reality, it will change your life. Okay, so I read to you that list of great difficulty that Paul went through. But after that list, Paul takes a turn. He is telling people this list because he wants to know, he wants his people to know who he is. He says, I've suffered these 24 ways. I have lost big time in a couple dozen ways. I wouldn't wish this on my worst enemies. But then he does a really interesting thing. He starts talking about spiritual experiences that he's had. He starts to explain that he has had visions and revelations that are so great that if those visions and revelations were all that he had, something would happen to him. He would begin to boast in his revelations. He would begin to boast in his spiritual experiences. He would begin to think that spiritual experiences were the main thing. So let me say this. Every Christian believer should at some point in their life have some spiritual experiences with Jesus, with the Holy Spirit, with God the Father. Spiritual experiences are good, they are valuable, and they are important but they are actually not the main thing that God is doing. In fact, what we're going to see in this passage is that God restrains Paul because of his spiritual experiences. And you know this passage. It's an all-time great. But Paul says that he has had dreams, visions, revelations. In chapter 12, verse 7, He says this, to keep me from becoming conceited because of the surpassing great revelations, there was given me a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. Wow, of all the things that God could give you, right? Like, come on now. Like, if you wanna get put out with Jesus over something, I think that right there is the thing to get put out with him over. I mean, he he didn't even ask for the revelations. We don't know if he asked for these spiritual experiences. God just took him into those things. And then we see God sends Paul, this messenger of Satan, metaphorically called it a thorn in his flesh. And Paul prays three times and three times... Well, he didn't not get an answer. He got an answer. He just didn't get the answer he was asking for. Three times he said, God, take this thing away. Take this thing away. God, take away this messenger of Satan. And here is the greatest thing, one of the greatest revelations that humankind has ever gotten. God says this to Paul, and he's saying it to you and I. My grace is sufficient for thee. My grace is enough for you. My grace is actually everything that you've been hoping for, everything that you've been looking for, everything that you need right here and now. I'm not changing the fact that you suffered all this stuff. I'm not taking away this thorn in the flesh because when that thorn in your flesh comes up against my grace, that thorn is absolutely no match. Where's the greater glory for God to take that thorn away or for that thorn to bump up against the grace of God? And God's answer to Paul is God's answer to us. My grace is enough for you because my power is brought to perfection in weakness. And so here's what Paul does in response. He's explained this. He's saying, Satan, messenger of Satan came to me. I got this thorn in the flesh. I asked God three times to take it away. God says no, because his grace is sufficient. And what does Paul do in return? He says this, therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. Did you catch that? Have you, have you been devoid of Christ's power in your life? Paul enters into Christ's power, how? By boasting in his weaknesses. It says it right there in the passage. The power of Christ rested on me. It began to rest on me when I began to boldly boast about my weaknesses. And then he goes on, that is why I delight in weaknesses, I delight in insults. I delight in hardships of all kinds. I delight in persecutions. I delight in difficulties. And then his great proclamation is this. This is crazy. Amy and I were talking about this. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Do you know how many times I've heard that quoted as, when I am weak, then he is strong? Have you heard that one before? People say that Paul said, when I am weak, then God is strong. It's literally the exact opposite of that. Paul is saying, when I am in my weaknesses, that is when I am at my strongest. When I am in the very bottom of the way the world scales strength and weakness, when I am at the very weakest of how the world measures this, I am at the very strongest. I am in the middle of the power of God. Sometimes that weakness feels like the absence of God. Sometimes that weakness feels like the weakness of God. Sometimes that weakness feels like the lack of God. Sometimes that weakness feels like the silence of God. Sometimes that weakness feels like you're somewhere else that God is. And that is the very place where God is the most powerful. That is the place where you will find God the most So the thing that you have to be careful of is misjudging who you are and where you are in Christ. Your issue may not be that God is separated from you. Your issue may be that you're judging the world wrongly, incorrectly. You may be judging your situation incorrectly. You may feel like God has left you for a long while and God's had you right exactly where he has wanted you the whole time. And all the things that you have said against yourself to discount you are the very thing that qualifies you in Jesus. Are you with me on that? So we gladly boast about our weaknesses and Christ's power rests on us. And this is why we delight in difficulties because our troubles are no match for God's grace. All right? So I'm wrapping this up. I told you guys this was going to be short, or maybe it's not short. Maybe I've been preaching for an hour and a half, and I don't even know it. So are we good? You all still good for a couple more minutes? Raise your hand if you're still good. Courtney Clark is not good. Okay, there you are. All right. She's good. Okay, so here's the thing, y'all. I know I already said this, but the Apostle Paul was an intense guy, but I think the reason why he was so intense is because he actually lived a very intense life. There was a lot of intensity in the guy's life, right? And we're not, we're not all supposed to be the Apostle Paul. We are not all supposed to go live like he lived. I just want to say that. If you are a person who is, um, you know, you get up every day and you go to work, you go to school, you're taking care of your kids, you, your life isn't necessarily going to match line for line with what Paul was doing. And that is perfectly okay. But these applications can still be made. There's, a, there's enough shared humanity in following Christ with us and what Paul was doing that we can apply all of these things to our lives. All right? And so why this is, that's important is because I want, to, I want to close this out. I want to wrap this back around to the beginning of the epistle. Uh, in in, in ch- uh, the opening chapter of 2 Corinthians, Paul is letting folks know that his life has been very difficult. It, it, it's like he did that in chapter 11, but he starts the book out with this. This is crazy. If, you, if you've ever had thoughts like this that I'm about to read, it's just beautiful to know that you're in good company But there's this passage where Paul says, we don't want you to be uninformed, brothers and sisters, about the hardships we suffered in the province of Asia. We were under great pressure. And, And listen to this. This next line is so important. We were under great pressure, far beyond our ability to endure. Paul regularly found himself in situations that were beyond him. Beyond his ability to endure. I know we can relate to that. And he says this, he gets even more intense. He gets more extreme. He says, so that we despaired even of life. He didn't even want to be alive anymore. Indeed, in our hearts, We felt the sentence of death. But this happened that we might not rely on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. These things happen to us, y'all. So God, if there's a lesson that God is trying to teach us, bring us to. A revelation that he wants us to know. It's that we actually can't depend on the lives that we're living. He's actually leading us to a place where we have to depend on him. Amen? And it's its this testimony that Paul's giving right here that is so powerful and so compelling. And this is the wonderful thing about being in Christ. If, we're, if you're a believer in Jesus, you're in Christ this morning. That all of the suffering, all of the trouble is actually turned up on its head. The trouble that we live through actually becomes grace that we can comfort another person with. Your, your story of trouble is actually the future comfort of somebody else. The breaking that you experience, the crushing that you experience actually becomes the future strength of somebody else. What you're enduring now is going to turn into grace in somebody else's life. Come on now. In Christ, trouble is transformed into grace in Christ trouble is always transformed into grace i mean this is so cool this is i, I know you guys have heard me say this before but second corinthians chapter 1 verse 3 praise be to the god and father of our lord jesus christ the father of compassion and the god of all comfort who comforts us in all our troubles So that we can comfort those in trouble with the comfort we ourselves have received from God. For just as the sufferings of Christ flow over into our lives, so also through Christ our comfort overflows. If we are distressed, it is for your comfort and salvation. If we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which produces in you patient endurance of the same sufferings we suffer And our hope for you is firm, because we know that just as you share in our sufferings, so also you share in our comfort. That's why Paul is spelling out everything so explicitly. He wants these folks to know what he has gone through so that they can receive the the comfort of his testimony, of his trial, and of the grace that he's received. What was meant to destroy us actually forms us into being more like Jesus. When we allow our weakness to be seen and felt by others, it actually becomes the grace that we can give to another person. Our story of difficulty, when told with vulnerability and honesty, can actually strengthen and heal someone else. So... This is a takeaway for y'all. Suffering that is shared becomes comfort that is shared. Suffering that is shared becomes comfort that is shared. I think one of the main issues in the body of Christ right now is that we're actually not hearing one another's stories enough. I think that we are afraid to tell people what we've gone through because we have a little shame connected to our story. But the fact is that we need to turn that thing on its head, share our stories of distress, share our stories of failure, share our stories of lack of victory, obviously through the filter and image of the gospel of Christ. And those things in turn, Become powerful dispensations of grace for others. So, y'all, here's the good news. This is the very best news of all, all right? This is the news Jesus died for our sins according to the scriptures, he was buried. And he was raised on the third day, according to the scriptures. That's the gospel. That's the thing that we're proclaiming. That's the thing that we're living for. That's the thing that we're living from. That is our testimony. And that is the very reason why we can go through the things that we go through. Because we know that in the very end, everything is going to be redeemed. We know this, that God is doing a good work and he is faithful to the task. Amen? So this is the gospel that the broken that that Jesus has broken the curse of sin and death. And we live in a moment right now where the full manifestation of that reality is not yet seen. But we are a people who see that reality and we live from that reality. See, that's why we have to get our hopes up. That's why we have to dream again. I know too often in my life, I've just been with my head down, kicking rocks. Nobody loves me. Everybody hates me, including God. And I feel the Spirit calling us back to getting our, our sights set on the wonder and beauty of the gospel again. Because it re-reminds us the purpose behind the difficulties that we struggle for in this life or struggle through in this life. And I want to be a person. I want us to be a people who are are living from that reality. And we can bring that future reality of that kingdom of God into the now. And knowing that Christ has broken the curse of sin and death, we can be curse breakers. We can be curse breakers. We can carry the fullness of this gospel message to people who don't know this. who who don't know that there's a reason for all of this. I'm going to close with this. I I recently was thinking about that passage at the end of the book of Malachi, where I think it's the last or second to last scripture in the book of Malachi, where the prophet is, he he just says the simple thing. He says that... Um, the the hearts of the fathers need to turn to the hearts of the children and the hearts of the children need to be turned to the hearts of the fathers lest I strike the earth with a curse. And I began thinking through that. I began thinking, my gosh, all of the brokenness that I'm witnessing in America right now you can almost trace everything back to broken family relationships. You can trace almost everything back to children not doing right by their parents and by parents not doing right by their children in some way. And I began to ask the Lord, Lord, how how can we break the power of those curses in our lives? And and the Lord showed me this thing with between me and my own mom. And I just want to sh- get vulnerable with you for just a second. Because I feel this is so powerful. I, I was actually sharing this with the young adults a couple weeks ago. But-, but my mom was a person who was, she was relatively mistreated from a very early age. There was a level of neglect that she experienced in her life that by the time i came along into this world there were things that i needed that she couldn't give me so in a sense the curse that had been passed down to her naturally got passed down to me and she wasn't a wicked person she she was stumbling through her own life and she had kids but I was the receptor of, of this real difficult, some difficult stuff. And the Lord began to show me, because I began to ask the Lord, 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 I don't feel the power of that neglect in my life anymore. I don't feel the power of that curse in my life anymore. Why why is the power of that curse gone in my family line? And the Lord said, It's because you turned and carried the one who could not carry you. And oftentimes the Christian life is you enacting mercy and grace towards a direction that you've only received neglect and abuse. That's the thing. That's the power that breaks the curse in our family lines. And I I want to say very clearly, sometimes relationships can't be healed. Sometimes heavy boundary lines need to be drawn. I don't ever want to make a case for, you know, letting somebody abuse you in your life. But I would say this, a lot of times there needs to be a sacrifice paid at some point in a relationship for the relationship to actually feel healing. And I want to say to God and to the people in my life, Lord, let me be a person who is laying down the things that I want, the things that I need and turning to carry another person in their weaknesses so that they can feel the grace of God in their life are you with me on that a lot of times you will be the dispenser of the grace of God in somebody else's life and i here's what i need i need to learn how to love because I find myself often in situations with people that I lack wisdom in and I don't know what to do because sometimes folks are just really behaving badly, right? And and you don't want to just interject yourself into every bad situation. But I find that a lot of times I don't go into places that I should go because I'm afraid that I'll, you know, make the wrong decision. And I, I, I feel that the Lord is calling the body of Christ to start erring on the side of love. If we're going to err, let's err on the side of love with people. If we're going to err, let's start erring on the side of mercy with people. Let's start erring on the side of grace for people. And let the Lord disciple people into becoming the people that they need to be. Do you know you cannot control your spouse into becoming the person that you think they should be? You can't do that for anybody. You can kind of do it for your kids for about like 12 years. And then once they're, they're 13, they're just on their own, you know, for the most part. But like once we get past the ability to control anybody, do you know the only play that we have left in our playbook is grace? It's the only thing that you and I are called to give to people. You know, I have this song, I wrote this hymn and in the hymn, in the song, I have this line. It says, um, uh, when the abyss uh, cursed all the wind from the sails, we had no dams to give because love never fails. And I sing that song out in public places and it's always the sinners who love that song. It's always the Christians who get, what? You said no dams to give in a song? Man, you're crazy. But the sinners are like, Oh, oh, they feel the lack of judgment and they feel the river of grace. They feel the lack of judgment and they feel the river of mercy. They feel God's river of love coming on that lyric. And that's what I want to be. I want to be a person who has no dams to give. But I am a, a carrier of the grace of God into the world, into people's lives, into the life of my family, into my own life. Amen? Amen. Okay. I, before Vivian comes up, I just want to do, I want to do fake ministry time real quick. We don't have a piano player up here right now, so there's not any ministry time music going on. But I do, I want us to not just hear a good sermon. I want, and that sermon was good, by the way. I want to, I want to actually, I want y'all, if you feel like you need what I'm talking about, I just want you to stand up. It's that simple. If you feel like you need more of the grace of God in your life this morning, I'd like you just to stand up. Let's do this together. You don't have to, by all means. Please do not. Um, but if you would like, see, this is what we believe in this church anyways. We believe that you can pray and that God will answer. You can ask God for strength and he'll give you strength. You can ask God for peace and wisdom and he'll give you those things. The last thing that I want church to be is some kind of like intellectual transaction only. We are a people who believe in the word and the spirit. And you have to know this. The Holy Spirit is active. He is not dormant and he is not ambivalent. He's actually doing a work in our midst right now. And you can tap into what he's doing right now. And so what I like to do is simply just Lift our hands and and let me just pray over you right now. Let, Let just the Holy Spirit just begin to wash over you right now, just as we're standing in this room. I know this might feel weird, whatever, it doesn't even matter. Who cares? Oh, Holy Spirit. First of all, we want to say we we delight in our troubles, Lord. We We want to say we delight and we boast in the weaknesses that we're carrying right now in our lives, Lord. We thank you that you don't disdain those things in our lives, Lord, but you actually make room for those things in our lives. We thank you that the things that we have said disqualified us actually brings us into what you're doing. So with open hands, God, With open hands, they may be empty. They may have some things in them. It might be, it's just different for each person in here right now. Holy Spirit, we invite you right now to come and stir the waters of our heart. And where folks are lacking strength, I ask for an outpouring of your strength. Where folks are, are, are needing provision in their lives of any kind. Folks that need financial provision, folks that need emotional provision, folks that need relational provision, folks that need wisdom in their work life, in their their relational lives. Lord, we ask you for a heavy impartation of grace right now. Lord, just pour out your grace on us right now. Lord, I, be, I pray that the waters of testimony would begin to rise in this church. I pray for the waters of testimony would begin to rise in our lives and that we wouldn't be ashamed of the troubles that we're going through, but also, God, that we could feel your joy again and that joyful testimonies would arise. God, one more thing. I ask that you would shift us into a gear, that you would accelerate us into the dreams and the visions and the revelations of your Holy Spirit. God, it's it's our prayer that you would give us more access to your Holy Ghost realm. And I pray that people would have dreams of you in the night, that they would have encounters with you in the day, and that, that you would... Make us more aware of what you're doing. In Jesus' name and all God's people said, amen. You've been listening to the Queen City Church Sermon of the Week. For more information on this message and other resources, visit queencity.church.